Welcome to another episode of the Survival Podcast. Today, um, on a Friday, we are going to do, well, something just a little bit different from a Friday. Usually we're doing a variety show or an Outback with Jack show or something like that. Today we're going to do one of my more philosophical shows. Uh, It's not really about preparedness from a mechanistic standpoint. It is very much about a a preparedness mindset from a philosophical and a you know a mental aspect, because the more resilient we can build our lives, the more we can actually develop the personal and interpersonal relationships with those around us. Uh, the better life we can live, and the more resilient of a life we can live. And I've been kicking around the idea of this show for a while, and it is about truisms, things that are absolutely true. That when you hear them, for most people anyway, the first thing that the mind wants to do is say, no, that's wrong. Let me correct it. And many of them are counter to statements that are made constantly in society designed to control your mind with marketing. So we're not going to refute this one today, but an example would be something like freedom isn't free. That's an example of a phrase used to sell our country into war after war after war. The phrase itself is not technically wrong, but the context in which it is used makes it a lie because you're using it to deceive. So even a truth, when used to sell a lie, is an untruth. So that's the kind of show we're going to have today, philosophical Jack. But if you're like, but I got the email. And I thought Jack was going to go like 1986 macho man Randy Savage on people's heads today. Okay, we're going to do that, too. I promise you. In fact, what we're going to be doing today, I'm going to try to put you in touch with the greatest adversary that you'll ever face, yourself. The internal battle, the internal struggle, the things that hold you back and prevent you from having great relationships with family members that are difficult. They're difficult people. And so when I tell you something today like respect is given when it is required, your mind is going to want to immediately go, bullshit, Jack. Respect is earned. Okay? We're about to go through our intro segment. Well, we'll let that go. But just to put a little bee in your bonnet today, shouldn't respect be the default? When you meet somebody you've never met before, don't you treat them with respect? Then how is it earned? Okay. Thought that would just... uh Get the juices flowing. Let's start out with, hey, we are going to have a great show today. And we do have a sponsor today. And I wanted to actually, if you're on the live stream video, which we're still not on YouTube, because I am still in YouTube prison, I will be back on Monday. And the episodes that we uh, did this week, I will get up onto the YouTube channel for you, both on Bitcoin Breakout and the Survival Podcast. But Paul Wheaton reached out to me yesterday, and he's got a, a special deal. He's got um, an ebook and a, a, a movie on making organic natural swimming pools, basically ponds that you can also use as a swimming pool. And he's got his world domination gardening uh, set for you guys as well. We'll just read it for you, right? Um, 
again, unless you're like first timer here at TSP, you're probably familiar with Paul and his work. Uh, a lot of it really devoted to bringing rocket mass heaters to the masses. Uh, in this combo pack, he has a three movie set called World Domination Gardening, as well as the movie Natural Swimming Pools and the ebook Organic Pools, a DIY manual. The information presented in this collection will give you the keys to understand the way water moves through your land, how it interacts with your water table, and how you can build cascading ponds, aquaculture, and swimming pools that will benefit future generations. If you bought all these alone, 53 bucks. But right now you can get them all for 30 bucks. And you'll see right here, there's a little link. So if you go to the survivalpodcast.com and you use that link, I'll get a commission if you, uh, if you buy from Paul. I, I don't really care about the commission. I've actually told Paul, dude, you are a sponsor. You pay me to advertise. You don't have to give me money every time you want me to push some individual thing. And he said he wants to do it anyway. So I don't hate money. So okay, Paul, you can pay me. I'll let you do that. Um, But the other side of it is that since he is using tracking links, he'll know how effective his advertising at TSP is. So please go to the Survival Podcast and use the link if you're already a Permies member so he'll know that you heard about it here and you picked it up. And I think it's a hell of a deal for 30 bucks. All right, next up real quick, just wanted to mention to you, we do have a sale on the Member Support Brigade going on. This is one of the best sales I've ever done. It's not the cheapest price I've ever done, but I think it's one of the most creative sales that I've ever done. And it's my birthday, guys. Not this week, but next week. Well, it's actually about a week and a half away. The 2nd of August was when Jack Spirko was born. And I have been having a lot of problems with trolls lately. I have had trolls impersonating me. Uh, I'm going to put up a screenshot of somebody trying that caught somebody trying to sucker them into uh, some sort of shenanigans on Instagram pretending to be me. So I've had imposters and trolls everywhere. And John Willis from SOE Tactical Gear, who I got this awesome shirt from, taught me to monetize trolls. I came up with the term monetize trolls, but he taught me the technique. So what I've got running right now is a really great deal. And you can get the MSB for 30 bucks a month. And when I did this with the bacon troll, Travis, if you guys remember that, there were some pe- a few people, you know, they bought like a membership for their dog and then they canceled the renewal or something like that. You can buy one for your imaginary friend. Just you know, give me a birthday present, guys. Help me monetize trolls. Don't pay me in troll coin. You'll have to look at the video to see what that's about. But when I, this is actually what made me do, for those that are watching the video right now, this is what made me do the troll sale the way that I'm doing it. I saw this gift and I thought, I have got to put that in something on the blog. And so... If you want to see the troll coin gif, you'll have to go and look up the troll sale on the survivalpodcast.com. But um, if you want to get MSB for 30 bucks a year, discount code is troll. And remember, you can also boostagram me on Fountain or any of the value for value podcast services and just lead off with troll with your comment and your boostagram. And I'm going to be reading a bunch of them online next week, probably on the Bitcoin breakout one. Because I have screenshots and I want to kind of put them all on a screen where you can see all the great boostergrams that have come in in honor of the trolls as we monetize the trolls. So now let's dig on into this, right? So I really do think there are a lot of things in life that people take to be true that I'm going to try to show you just six of them today that aren't true. And you might think, what does this have to do with preparedness and survival? Again, if you want to build the best life you can, the most resilient life you can, the life that 
if you get knocked down, you can get back up. Even if you get knocked down hard, even if you get hurt, even if you have a big financial loss, even if you have something emotionally devastating, the whole point of survival is to continue on forward. And most of the threats to our lives are not the zombies are coming. They're not an asteroid hitting us from outer space. They're not nuclear missiles raining down on our heads. Most of the threats in what I call the probability, threat probability index, are personal to familial level. They're at the individual level. In other words, your your neighbor might care that it happened to you if your neighbor knows you and likes you and, and, and cares about you, but it doesn't really affect them. It affects you personally. And then the next You, you kind of expand out from there. Like it's the thing that hits a neighborhood, like a big bad storm. And then it's kind of regional, state, national, global. In fact, I would say the whole COVID thing, right? And I can say whatever I want about COVID today because we're not on screw tube. But um, that was like the first actual global disaster we've ever seen. And it wasn't a global disaster until all the governments of the world turned it into a global disaster. So it makes sense to start here, right here in ourselves in our preparedness. And so having the right mindset is important to do that because we will not make the right decisions if we believe things and they lead us to actions or inactions and the things that we believe are not true and we've had them programmed into our minds. As many of you know, prior to being a podcaster and a, uh, a personality in the world of prepping and survivalism, my profession was in marketing. And even when I wasn't in marketing, I was in sales. And when I wasn't in sales, I was in web marketing, which is a kind of marketing, as Sheldon Cooper would say. And so I understand the power of marketing, and I've always tried to use that power for good. But when you learn to use the power for good, you can see how it would be used for evil. Here's a rule of marketing, the seven-touch rule. If I can touch you with a message seven times, whether you act on it or not, I'll plant it in your brain. And if you hear it again later, You'll go, oh, yeah, I heard that before. If I touch you six times, you might. Many people will remember something they've heard once or twice if they hear it 10 years later. But there's no guarantee. But with a 95% probability, if I say the real thing, you think Coca-Cola because you've heard it hundreds of times, if you're old enough to remember when that was their, their, their slogan. So think about any slogan of any major brand that you, you can't forget. It actually only takes about seven touches if I actually have your full attention when you get that touch, that exposure. And I can ingrain that thing in your brain. Again, it doesn't mean you will act on it, but it means it's there. So think of what happens when you hear something that's false, that sounds true, and you hear it over and over and over again. And because it fits well with what you believe, you reinforce it with, the, with the, the mental programming code that we always talk about. How hard then is it to shake it? Before we go into the six truisms, let me give you an example. How many of you heard at some point in your life the story of the boiling frog, the boiling frog analogy? And if you've heard me say this before, you'll be like, yeah, I know, Jack, it's not real. But it's not real. It's a good metaphor based on a false reality. So the idea is we take the frog and we put him in the pot and the water temperature is 70 degrees and we increase it to 71. And five minutes later, we go to 72. And five minutes later, we go to 73. And five minutes later, we go to 74. And we can take the frog all the way up till the frog dies from how hot the water gets on the way to boil. 
and the frog will never try to get out because the change is so slow the frog can't perceive it. If you know anything about reptiles and amphibians, um, they, they have to thermoregulate. They have to be able to perceive these slight changes so they know move into the sun, move into the shade. This is a complete fallacy. It's not true. But somebody said it. It sounded good and got repeated. So many of you right now listening to this, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, you're actually angry. This has to be true. It's not. That's the, the mental anchor that we're talking about today. It's not just cognitive dissonance. It's you've literally got that idea hard-coded in your head. Now, if you're like me and you've done public speaking, and you should have known better, but you just accepted it, you, you swallowed the puke, and, you, and you've used it standing on stage in front of 500 people. It's, it was even harder for me, but when I saw Mythbusters bust the myth, I was like, huh, gee, Jack, you have a background in herpetology. You should have known that shit. Why did you ever say it? And it was still hard to let go of. So that's what we're getting at today. So my first one, I already gave it to you in the preamble. Respect is given when it is required. Now, I want to know anybody out there that when you hear that, there's not a huge number of people in chat today because we're still kicked off YouTube. We got 25 on Odyssey. Uh, we got, I think, about nine on Twitch. So I don't know how many we have on Facebook. How many of you will admit, just say me, that when I say respect is given when it's required, you want to say no respect is earned. And, and I'll wait for them. I'm going to continue on, but you just say it. Even if when I start talking, you're like, okay, it makes sense for me. Like I said, the default The default is respect in interpersonal relationships. If you meet me in public, I don't know you. I've never met you before. And you come up to me and go, hey, are you Jack Spirico? And I go, yeah, I am. And you go, I listen to your show. Do you expect me to be disrespectful to me? Would that, to you, would that be okay? If you walked, walking down the street, you didn't know Jack from Adam. And we met in some interaction, like we were at uh, a, a nursery buying plants. And I happen to know a lot about plants. And I hear you ask a question, and you don't seem very satisfied with the guy that works at the nursery because he's an idiot. And I said, hey, how are you doing? Can I, can I maybe give some answers on those trees you're buying? And you don't know me. You don't know that I know anything. Even if you don't really want an answer, you're like, I got it myself or whatever. Are you going to be disrespectful? And would you expect that I'd be disrespectful to you? See, in all those answers, I know what you're saying. You're saying, no, no, I wouldn't be disrespectful to somebody I just met. But you don't know them. They haven't earned your respect. And this is one, several of these I tested on social media over the last few weeks. And I just, I just made this statement. Respect is given when it is required. And I actually had somebody in my family that I was speaking of who needs to start requiring respect of others And it had nothing to do with what people thought it had to do with. And I got the resistance. I didn't do it to make fun of anybody or pick an argument or pick a fight. I did it just to see how conditioned the response would be. So let me explain why this is important. And I'm going to use an example from my own family. And I won't get too personal because I want to be respectful of the individual. I don't think anybody out there nowadays would even know who this is. But maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll hear it. Maybe it'll help them. And I don't want them to feel too singled out, right? So I have this family member. And this family member has a parent. And, and the, the, the family member is in their 30s. This is not a 12-year-old child. And this family member's parent is highly disrespectful. And I don't mean like verbally abusive. I mean disrespectful of boundaries. 
disrespectful of situations. This this person's parent is a poor me style control drama person. Someone who sucks people in by I'm not good enough, you don't want me that type, that type of person that we all know. And here's one example, and I only need one to make my point. One example of the respect that is not given because it's not required, and therefore the the 30-year-old adult child, right? I guess you'd say the the adult, uh, the grown adult who still has a parent in their life, is actually more responsible for the problem than the person causing the problem. This this parent and this individual. They want the, the 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 kid wants a relationship with the parent desperately wants a good solid relationship. The parent withholds on the relationship to maintain control of 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 the younger individual. Okay, and it's blatantly obvious. And 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 the family member I'm speaking of, they know this. So here's one one way this will be done. They'll be involved in something like with their own family and their kids that's really special. And the parent who has not reached out to make a phone call to them in a week will pick the dead center of that activity to call and say they need to talk and just want to talk about random crap. Knowing that the, the young person won't say, look, mom, I can't do this right now. My kids are doing this, my, you know, whatever. Like I'm, I'm doing this with my wife, husband, whatever, right? And will drag that conversation out as long as possible to be disruptive, knowing that the child craves the interaction so much that they'll let her get away with it. Okay. Now, what is the proper response to this? I'm sorry. I'm in the middle of something. We'll be done about seven, eight, whatever time. I'll be happy to talk to you then. Is it emergency? No. Okay. I'm sorry. I have got to do this with my family. But the individual I'm speaking of will not stand up for themselves. Draw that line and say, look, back up. Give me the respect that I'm entitled to. Now, you might sit there and think about this and be like, well, I would do this and I would do that. I just ask you, is there anybody in your life like this? See, most of these things like this, they're actually easy. They're easy when the person on the other end of it is someone you are not required to or don't have a desire to have a relationship or an interaction with. You meet somebody like that, you're like, bye, and you go on with your life. But when it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a business partner, an employee, a boss, you know how many people are disrespected by their boss because they won't require their boss to be respectful? Just because your boss is in charge doesn't mean they get to be disrespectful to you. And just be, and this is where the respect is earned thing comes from. Just because you're a boss doesn't mean that you get respect. The default is respect, but when you break it, you have to earn it back. That's where the earning comes from. Or the degree of respect. So when I had employees, the longer they worked for me, even though I am a dick, you guys know I'm an ass. I'm hard, but I'm also always fair. And I always make sure people understand the why. Even if you don't understand the why in the sec, I need this done now. Stat, do it. I'll always do later counseling. Hey, look, we have time now. Let me explain why I had to do it that way. So that respect tends to go up over time. So respect does have degrees, but the default's respect. And when somebody is disrespectful on a regular basis and they're leveraging the relationship, whether it's boss to coworker, parent to child, brother to sister, They only do it because you allow it. 
And you would find that that person will be incredibly respectful to someone that they haven't created a false subservience with. So there's your first one today. Respect is given when it is required. So always require everyone in your life to be respectful and always be humble enough and to go, am I being disrespectful because of something I've done? But when you know the answer is no, since the default is respect, require it. Next up, one of the things I hate to hear parents say, and I don't, I know they don't mean anything bad by it. They're not doing it to, to cause any kind of problems or anything like that. Um, and they don't, they're not bad people for saying it. And it's just one of those things that people just say. Okay. And there's a problem with this. Words have power. So don't be upset when you hear this if you consider yourself to be a great parent and you say it all the time. I just want you to be mindful of what you're saying and what it does to the mental programming in your brain. If you are raising children, you're doing it wrong. Jack, what, what's wrong with you? Have you, have you? Did you hit your head yesterday? Did you crawl back into the bottle? Did you drink all the old fashions again? You know, you're on a great week and now it's bad to raise children. No, I'm fine. I'm still in that kind of super operational mode this week. I've been intermittent fasting, got my mental reboot going. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, and you know exactly what I'm going to say. You're not raising children. You're raising young men and women. Your job is not to raise a child. If you raise a child, you have an 18-year-old that's still a kid. Now, how is that important? What is your mindset as a parent? So, or as a grandparent, like if you're deeply involved in the parenting process, like I and my wife are with our grandchildren, every single thing that I do, every single thing that I require of them, every single lesson that I give to them is with an understanding that the younger they are, the more restrictions I have in their life for their own protection and the more oversight that I have in their life for their own protection. I'm not going to take a six month old baby, put it in the middle of a field and go, you're free. That would be child abuse. Right. That would be child abuse because that baby can't survive in the field for a day in the sun, let alone for, for their whole lives. They're free. Right. Children are born into a level of captivity with their parents. We hold them captive. We put them in a crib. It looks like a cage. It kind of is. What do you think a playpen is? Why do you think they say when they throw you in jail, you got thrown in the pen? All right. It's a playpen, but it's still a pen. So I'm always looking for. What restriction can I remove next where they will have the self-discipline that they don't require the restriction from me anymore? So I want to say, like, I need you to be home by, this is back on my son, because I don't do this with my grandkids, but my son, I would say, you, you know, your time to be home by is 8.30, 9 o'clock, whatever. When he was coming home on time and when he would make a phone call and say, can I stay out late tonight? Yeah, as long as where you're going to be is okay. And then when it started to default to that all the time, well, what's my curfew tonight? You know, and this is 16, 17. You don't have one. Just let me know what's going on. And so that was a conscious decision, even all the way back then, long before I was doing this podcast. This boy is to become a man. So my entire goal as a parent, the entire time is I'm raising a man. When I look at my grandson, who's only 11 years old, that's what I'm thinking. I'm raising a man. When I look at my granddaughter, who's six, I'm raising a woman. 
and you don't think it's that important. You're like, he's just digging into some sort of like technicality. I'm not. If you think I'm raising a child, then you are going to do exactly what you think. Your mind knows what that means. Now, you might think I'm saying, like, you know, I don't let them be kids. I want them to be kids. I want them to be kids. But as they move toward maturity, I want, and I literally had this conversation the first time with my son. I think he was, like, nine years old, that my goal is every single year to have a whole bunch of the restrictions I have on you and your mother has on you and remove them until there's none left. Because, and then I saw like the little brain going, right? And you're like, because it's where we're headed anyway. The day you turn 18, no matter what I have to say, no matter what weight I have to hold over you, you know, as far as money or opportunity or whatever, no matter what it is, if you just say, screw you, I'm leaving, it may be a tough choice for you, but there's nothing under the law of the land that I can do about it. I can't call the police. I can't make you come home. I can't grab you and physically restrain you. You're going to hit a day in your life that legally you are an adult under U.S. law, and I can, I can ask you what to do. I can advise you what to do. I can even be pissed with you for making the wrong decision, but I cannot prevent you from doing anything you want to do, including things that are stupid or illegal. So shouldn't I start treating you like that from the very beginning? Not that you're all the way there, but that's your destination. So everything I'm doing as a parent or a grandparent in some instance, is working myself out of that particular job. I'll always be his dad. I'll always be Papa Jack. But I will not always fill the role of, of captor, right? You're a captor of your kids up to a point. If they say, I'm going out anyway when they're 16, you're like, the hell you are. And you snag them by the ass and bring them back in the house for their own good. Do that when they're 18. Let them call the police and you'll get arrested. It matters. Start saying I'm raising men and women because that's what you're doing if you're doing it right. Next up, I, I, I want people to put me in the chat again if you can. And I, I see, what the hell? I'm not sure if that was for me or for somebody else, but it's Tom. I wonder if that's when I said you're raising children, you're doing it wrong. Anyway, in the chat, me. Who here thinks a narcissist is someone that loves themselves? Right? They're just in love with themselves. They think they're the greatest thing, that that's what a narcissist is. And this is a lot like the discussion that we were having about respect is given when it's required. It seems like that would be the case. That's how people describe narcissists. They think they're hot shit. They think they're better than everybody else. Right Now, if you meet someone that's clearly a narcissist and you have no active relationship with them, and you're not out kind of with a messiah complex trying to fix people. They're not your brother, your cousin, your uncle, your, uh, your father's cousin's uncle's former roommate. They're not any of that stuff. They're not your parent. They're not your child. They're just some random person. This doesn't even matter. You're, you'd be wrong to think they really love themselves, but it doesn't really hurt anything. But when we're back to this is a person that one way or another you have to have a relationship with. You need to understand it. And I think for most people, you need to understand it. And if you yourself are a narcissist you're, and you need to, like, get on therapy with it, you need to understand this. Narcissists hate themselves. I don't mean dislike themselves. They hate themselves. They have a massive inferiority complex. 
They can be good-looking, physically fit, talk shit about themselves all the time, speak in third person. Jack's a handsome man. They can do all that shit. It's all a cloak. It's all a cloak. They have a deep-seated, seething self-loathing and self-hatred, a huge inferiority complex. Every narcissistic behavior, if you have a true narcissist here, every one of us can sound like a narcissist on any given. Maybe we had a really good day and we bragged on ourselves a little bit. That doesn't make one a narcissist. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say narcissist. So they hate themselves. And so when you're dealing with one and you correct their grandiose claims, you're actually hitting them in the place that hurts them the most, even though you wouldn't think that. And narcissists are not always flamboyant and extroverted. Often people who are very introverted, poor me, kind of like the person I was talking about at the beginning, often those people are narcissistic as well. And no one sees them as narcissists because they're not looking for the defining characteristic. Do they have self-loathing, self-hatred, massive self-doubt? And then compensate for it in some other way. Some compensate through like this grandiose behavior. Some compensate through controlling the situation and harming others to get what they want because they're more important than the other person. This is what narcissism really is. A belief that you are more important than everybody else in the world. And yet you think you're inadequate And you often find narcissists that feel this way. I really am great, even though they don't believe it, but other people just don't understand it. Now, again, if you're dealing with somebody like that, the best thing you can do is not deal with them. Not deal with them. If you are forced to deal with one, it's very important that you understand what you're dealing with. Because if you understand what you're dealing with, you don't get sucked into whatever drama they want to bring in. Arguing with the grandiose version is what they want. Capitulating and giving sympathy to the poor me version is what they want. So we don't do either one. We're back to requiring respect. In fact, this was originally five. I only threw the narcissism in because of the next point. Because this is the one that's going to be hard to understand. This is one, it's going to sound like what a narcissist would say. Always put yourself first. You should always put yourself first. Now, understand something. Parents will be like, remember all that shit you said about kids, Jack? Well, I put my kids first because you want to. Because you want to. Because you believe that's the best thing for you and your children long term. You've made that conscious decision. But you have to put yourself first. And where this goes to is the golden rule. And it's why narcissists can never follow the golden rule. We think of the golden rule as love your neighbor as yourself. Break it down to one statement instead of two statements. That's like a combination there, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. To do that, what must you do first? First, you must love yourself. If you don't love yourself and you love your neighbor as yourself, well, you're a pretty shitty friend. You're a pretty shitty neighbor. You see how that works? It's See, this is the thing about the wisdom of religious and philosophical texts. It's all in plain sight. 
And it's done that way on purpose. The answer is encrypted in the statement in plain sight. It's like whatever the opposite. There's a thing called the Fenord. It's, it's, it's misdirection in plain sight. It's a, it's a news headline that's like blah, 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 comma, experts say. And it's all bullshit, right? Because what experts? That's a Fenord. I, it's like an anti-Fenord. Love your neighbor as yourself. What is that commandment really to do? Love thyself. People that love themselves will naturally be good to other people. And this is why I put the narcissism in, because there's a real screwed up nature to modern society today. A deep screwed up, and it is intentional by the people in power, and it's also through incompetence by the people in power. It's the both of them together. It's both malevolence and incompetence. And they like people screwed up in the head. That's why they're putting all your kids on basically methamphetamine in school because they want them to sit down and pay attention. We get the dosage just right. Johnny sits on his ass and does what he's told all day, so he'll be a good socialized citizen, right? And so we have to put things in people that are completely corruptive of basic human nature to cause this to happen, to allow people to watch abuse occur in front of their very eyes and think it's okay. If you think it's okay that just because a kid can't sit still and not move for eight consecutive hours in school, you give them a, 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 a freaking drug that is incredibly dangerous, mind-altering for life, that you have to be damaged. I'm not saying you're a horrible person. You have to have been damaged by the society that you're in. Let's go back to slavery where everybody can agree. If you are walking around watching people owned by other people thinking, well, this is okay, you had to be psychologically damaged. So we have to teach people putting themselves first is wrong because then everything in their life is out of balance and they're so receptive to anything that soothes the cognitive dissonance. Putting yourself first is, well, I'm sure some of you are thinking the analogy right now. Right? Put your mask on on the plane before you put your mask on your kid. Some dumbass is sitting next to you, mumbles on the rest. My damn, that shit, I'm going to put it on my... Your kid will be fine, even if they pass out from a vacuum, as long as the mask gets on their face within a minute or so. If you pass out, your kid doesn't know what to do, both of you get to pass out and die. But you can't see that because this idea that others must come before ourselves is deeply planted as being... If you're not going to be this way, you're going to be selfish. You're a narcissist to put yourself first. Putting yourself first just simply means I understand my role in my family, my community, my marriage, my business. And if I am not capable of filling that role, then everybody and everything that depends on me suffers for this. And so I owe it to myself to make sure that I am able to function as optimally as possible in all of these roles, and that means I have to take care of myself, is taking care of yourself by diet not putting yourself first, is getting up every day and exercising not putting yourself first. And that includes, I want this right now. Well, you're going to wait because I'm taking freaking five minutes to myself. All of this is okay. This is not narcissism. This is, yes, I care about my kids, and that's part of taking care of myself. That's part of putting myself first. I need to be a good father. So if I'm constantly giving them what they want, 
to put them first and I'm destroying my financial future. And even if let's say they do fine, they go to school, they get good jobs. And while I'm an old fart, they have to take care of dad because dad's financially destitute because he gave them every damn thing they wanted in life. And even if it didn't spoil them, how did that help them? It didn't. My children don't understand the finances of my home when they're seven years old. So it's up to me to say no to things. That's putting myself first. In everything you do, you should first think, how does this affect me? You should also, and this is the thing, you can give yourself permission to do that if you're not a psychopath or a sociopath. The next logical step is, and how does it affect other people? And then we balance that equation. But it has to start from what does this do to me? Because I'm the one, when I say, well, it affects this person and that person, I'm the one doing the affecting in that in that particular chain of events, or I'm misleading myself. So I either need to figure out, I should do this thing for me because it actually doesn't affect these other people I think it affects. Or since it does affect other people, I need to understand how it affects me. See, that doesn't mean I always get what I want at the expense of other people. It means I put my needs, and to a degree, my wants, but mostly my decision as to how I'm going to act must come first. Because otherwise, I can deceive myself into believing that I matter in places I don't. I matter more in a place than I really do. That's some things. Or that it's my place to be involved in this thing in the first place. Because maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. So always put yourself first and be selfish in the best way possible. Because I will tell you, go look through the history of the world. And everybody who ever really changed the world for the better in some ways was a very selfish, that doesn't mean bad, very selfish person. Because had they not done so, the actions that they took would never have been able to have been done. Even when they suffered for a cause, they chose to suffer. And if what they thought mattered didn't matter, their suffering would have been nothing. It wouldn't have mattered. Next, if you're long-term, this one won't surprise you. You'd be like, I just agree, just move on, Jack. We'll talk about it just for a little bit. Have you heard the phrase, an education is priceless? Yeah, it's bullshit. An education is not priceless. An education, you've got to first define the word education. If the education is a degree from Harvard Law School, Harvard can put a price right on it. We can price that bitch right out the door. Gonna cost you this much if you get through the time allotted. So if you can put a price on something, it's not priceless. An education in what? See, I don't like absolutes. Only the Sith deal in absolutes, right? One of the Star Wars truisms in spite of the fact that the franchise has been destroyed. It is a truism. Only the Sith deal in absolutes. If we say an education is priceless without defining what an education is, or what is done with the education, or what could have been done instead of that education, then we're dealing in an absolute with a bunch of unknowns around it. We call that stupid here. An education is worth exactly whatever you do with it. It's not priceless. You take this, well, this guy was really smart. Look what his education did for him. Okay? What's the sum value that he got before his dash was spent? Yeah, well, that's how much that education was worth. Now, there's a way to make this true. 
The only way you can make anything as far as knowledge and skill priceless is to create a kinetic series of events that makes that knowledge and that skill continue after your dash is gone and you're gone. That I think we're approaching priceless. I don't know if it's priceless, but I'll let that one go. I won't get too semantics with it. So if 10 generations after you're dead, the things that you taught, things that you explained, the things that you put in motion are still affecting the world for the better, okay, we can call that priceless. Why is this important? Because when you use something to sell something under false pretense, it can't help but do harm. So where did this term come from? This term came around, really started to pick up steam in the 1980s when I was in school. And it really started back in about the 60s. But it really, really got ramped up, 70s into 80s, when all the student loans became available. And all the tuition started going up in price. And all it was was a well-meaning phrase. Well, an education is priceless. You know, and when it was the 1940s and 50s, and anybody that went to college pretty much went for free, That was a nice sentiment. But, you know, those sneaky little marketing guys, they were like, well, how do we keep raising the price of tuition to put in more and more shit and pad our salaries and hire more and more staff and build more grandiose life? How do we keep raising the price now that we have this unending faucet of debt that these kids that are stupid easily qualify for? And they're like, well, we'll just do it because they can easily get the money. Like, yeah, but we're going to hit a point where they're going to be like, do I, do I really want to take on that much debt? Will I really be able to pay that back? And somebody goes, hey, hey, you know what? You know how we're all, they're always saying like an education is priceless. See, this is the most powerful marketing you can harness. This, I want, this is what I wanted you to understand about this because it's not about this one thing. I want you to think about wherever this is done to you, anywhere else in the world. If I'm a marketer, and I could find something that intrinsically is already believed and said, and I can put that into my marketing collateral, that's better than me coming up with something on my own. It's more powerful than anything else I can do. Now all I have to do is put money and repetition behind it and drumbeat it until it goes into your mind, and you're like, of course it is. Of course it is. No, it's not. See, if something is priceless, its value cannot be measured. That's the very meaning of the word. And that would mean that it would have immense value across the board. So if I take a flippin' idiot and force them through a bachelor's degree, how much value does it have? How much value does it have? Will it ever pay itself back? You got an, I'm sure many of you have met idiots with bachelor's or even master's degrees. I hired idiots with master's degrees. I'm like, I didn't know you were an idiot. Now that I know you're an idiot, you're fired. How valuable was that degree? It got them the job, but they couldn't capitalize on it. You go to school, is there value in your degree and the knowledge? If Let's say you did learn. Is there value to it? Let's say you went to school. You worked really, really hard. You got A's on all your tests. You did all the extra credit shit. You finished four years in three. Saved money doing it. Your degree's in gender studies. Is it priceless? Probably not. You went to school, you did the same thing. You have a degree in engineering. Is that valuable? I don't know that it's priceless, but it's extremely valuable. How valuable is a degree in engineering and the thinking that goes with engineering? 
I don't know when they changed this. I think now there's like 40 different degree paths. But it, definitely into the 70s. If you got accepted into the United States Military Academy at West Point and went to become an officer in the United States Army, when you got out of West Point, assuming you made it through, do you know what your degree was in? Engineering. Not engineering or. At one time, every U.S. Army officer that went through West Point came out with a degree in engineering, and it was because I can put you into any situation with problems and you can work out solutions. Incredibly valuable. Priceless? No. I don't know that anything's priceless. I don't know that anything's priceless. I think things can be sacred. But to be priceless, you must not be able to purchase it at any price. That's not the important thing. The important thing is it was already in people's minds, and then it was harnessed as marketing. Kind of like, you know, you should be afraid of this thing. And you already knew you should be afraid of the thing. And then they said, be afraid of the thing. And everybody went, I'm afraid of the thing. Kind of like that. Yeah, because this is going to get uploaded. So you got to figure that out for yourself. Use a little engineering. How about this one? Some of you heard this before. Those of you who haven't, this one's going to hurt. This one's going to cause anguish in the brain. This is going to have cognitive dissonance. You're going to say, no, not me. You deserve what you want. Say it again. You deserve what you want. You want something, you deserve to have it. We'll take a sip here for a second. That roll around in your melon. Did you just think to yourself, not me? No, I don't deserve Not everything I want. Oh, you deserve it. You just haven't done the work yet. Now, again, if you're resistant to that, then I know something about you. You're not a sociopath or a psychopath or something like that. Because a sociopath would be like, uh-huh, yeah, say that with some more, yeah, without any explanation. Psychopath, same thing. Of course I do. I just figure out how to get it. The funny thing is, the psychopath's answer is actually the right answer. It's just, his comes with malice. You deserve whatever you want, as long as you can figure out how to get it, without harming other people or taking from other people. If you do no physical harm to somebody and you do not take something without tendering proper compensation for it, don't you deserve it? Isn't that the very nature of deserving a thing? Like, I've got a stick here for those that are on audio only. I cut it out of the tree on my property. I wanted this stick. I won't say for what. Little project and do it with my grandkids. But I wanted this stick. I grew the tree. I paid for the, the clippers that I cut it out of the tree with. I wanted it. I went out and got it. I didn't harm you. I didn't steal money to buy the clippers. I didn't steal the tree. I didn't go to my neighbors without his permission and cut it from there. It's a real simple thing. Nobody would say that I don't deserve this stick. Maybe I don't need it. But no one would say, you know, unless there's some kind of weird person that I don't deserve it because I wanted it and I took it and it's mine. And I, I did everything that I actually did more than most people would if they wanted to stick. I grew the freaking tree. Everything else in your life is that way. You want a Learjet to fly around in? You deserve it. You just haven't done the work for it yet. Why is this important? Because the minute you, you accept that you deserve what you want, 
you'll find out a lot of things that you start doing the, the, the billionaire test. I just want a billion dollars on the lottery. What would I do? And you think you want all this shit? You don't want it. There's a lot of things that like, maybe you do need to be a billionaire to have that, but there's a lot of things that when you say a billion dollars and somebody really grasps a billion is a thousand million. And that means anything. Like, I want this and I want that. But it, but most of the stuff you would come up with, you can have it. A normal, hardworking person will be able to get most of the things they put on their list. They won't be able to get them all. You know this saying. This one's true. You can have, and I would say, you, to make this one true, you have to add two words, just about. You can have just about anything you want. You just can't have everything you want. And what this does is it leads us to make very tight, good decisions in our life. This is why it's important. If I think I want all these things, and I think the reason I can't have them is because I don't deserve them, then, then I'm not going to put my mind to work at getting them. Conversely, if I look at it and say, I want all this, and I deserve it, and then you're like, yeah, I do. Okay, but what do I got to do to get it? You're going to start prioritizing in a much more methodical, controlled way. You're going to be much more effective. You're going to gain a lot more of what you want in your life and have a lot less of what you don't want in your life if you go at it with that mindset. So if somebody says to me, I, I say, well, what do you want most? And they say, a jet. Well, go get one. And then when you actually do the work, you might be, you know, I, it just seems like it'd be cool. I don't really like. What does a jet mean? If I actually own it, I have to pay for its maintenance and storage and pay the pilot out of pocket. And I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know that I really want to do that. And then they might be like, you know what? There's like these memberships, like private jet club memberships. And maybe once in a while, I'm on that private jet with some other rich guy. But it's a hell of a lot more affordable and flexible, and I don't have to worry about any of the shit. So I want a fractional jet membership. You see how much that costs and say, well, I also want these other things. Which one do you want more? And then you might actually start designing your life. Because I've said this, I've been interviewed a lot of times about the survival podcast and the concept of modern survivalism. And, and what I'll always confess to the, the person interviewing me is in the end, what I teach is lifestyle design. And I am a marketer, and I know if I had come up with the Lifestyle Design uh, Podcast with Jack Spirico in 2008, I would not have had the success that I do. I knew that the Survival Podcast at the time was a better a better phrase to use to market what I do. And I did want to talk about preparedness and homesteading, gardening, protecting your money with hard assets. I did want to talk about the financial oblivion that we're looking at right now, said it was coming back then. I did want to talk about all the things that people that are preppers talk about. I wanted to talk about becoming an armed person and, and being able to defend yourself, to be able to own firearms, and if you needed to use them to defend yourself, your property, and your family with them. There's not a single thing that sane preppers do, okay, that doesn't fit under the term of lifestyle design. Now, most people talk about lifestyle design, right? They're like about, you know, getting the job you want or whatever. Well, that's part of being a prepper. But if you, you, you do all that and you don't have a reserve food supply, how much more vulnerable are you? You lose your job and your wife gets cancer in the same week. Everything we do is designed to create resiliency and redundancy in our lives. 
That's prepping. And all this stuff is actually more important to preparedness than most of the shit that most preppers talk about. Because preppers, when they're just preppers, that's like one issue, like a one-issue voter, like a one-issue actor. They end up with massive shit tons of food they're never going to eat that they don't even like. They end up with all kinds of guns, and you can only use one or two at a time. They end up putting, you know, think about it this way. Think about the people that put in bunkers. Now, I'm not talking about what we call a Frady hole. If I didn't have a rock for a piece of land, the whole land is rock, I would have a Frady hole. A Frady hole is a tornado shelter. We haven't had much rain this year, so there hadn't been, we had a tornado drought along with a regular drought, right? But there are years where it's like, here comes another tornadic storm again. It's Monday, Wednesday, there's another one with three tornadoes. We've never had a direct hit. We've had some scrapes. I would very much like a place to go in the ground during those. And five, ten grand, and then you get like a, uh, like a, like a root cellar as a, as a byproduct. Sure. But I'm talking about a full on bunker. This is a million-dollar-plus project. The prepper that is soul-minded, i got to be prepared for everything, might actually tie up a million dollars of capital in a tube in the ground because they don't understand, I deserve what I want, so I need to evaluate very carefully what I actually want. I can create a lot more redundancy in my life, a lot more resiliency in my life than a tube in the ground for a million dollars. But that's because I know I deserve what I want. But my real challenge, once I accept that, is defining, well, what do you want? What do you want? I've built most of what I want. What I'm doing right now, this second, if you're listening to me live, I want to do this most days of my life until I'm too old to do it anymore. I want to talk to people that want to learn, and I want to help them, and I want to inspire them, and I want to encourage them. I want that more than I wanted... When I bought my Challenger, I bought an SXT. For those who don't know what that means, it's like the base model Challenger. It's a really cool car in a really cool color, but there's plenty of cars out there that are faster than it. I got a really good deal on it. Just basically went in and said, how much? Okay, here you go. I Opportunity buy. Because I'd lived a life in a way that made that possible. But most of you are like, wow, that's a cool car, man. You must be doing it. Like, Guys, most of you are driving cars you paid more for than I paid for that. Unless you're driving a used car, odds are, because I timed the whole COVID, COVID's panic, right, and, and Dodge just dropped their pants and emptied their lots, right, um, I paid $24,000 for that car. So if you paid $25,000 or up, you paid more for your car than I paid for mine. But when we bought it, and my wife was like, this is not a wife prevention thing, right? This is a wife instigation thing. They had this beautiful, like, reproduction of, like, the I think it was the 1972 Challenger that ran at Daytona. Pins in the hood, like, freaking 800-horse motor in it, leather racing seats. I mean, it looked like they took that car and re... Because it's what they did. And it was, like, right at 50. And it was, like, a car that normally sold for, like, 70. And I think they only made, like, a few dozen of them. And they had it on the floor, and they brought me in to look at it. My wife's like, maybe, you know what, you you work so hard. And I thought, you know what I want? I want what I have right now to never go away. That's what I want. I'm going to drive this thing around for a couple weeks feeling like I'm king of the world, and then it's just a freaking car. 
I'll get just as much joy out of this as I will out of that. And it risks nothing of my stability in life. And there's so many other things I want to do for my wife, for my grandkids, for my children, to be blunt, for my dogs, for my audience. They're tying up another $30,000 for an emotional high. I don't actually want that. Because I know I deserve what I want. See, that's funny about the thing. When you know you deserve what you want, you find out you want a lot less. Then it becomes a lot easier to obtain it. And then it becomes easier, it becomes easy to obtain more than you ever thought you wanted. Respect is given when it is required. If you're raising children, you're doing it wrong. Raise adults. A narcissist is a person who hates himself. So the first commandment is love thyself. And always put yourself first. As long as you're not a psychopath or a sociopath, you're not going to do any harm to anybody by doing that. And education is not priceless. It's all about what you do with it. So don't overpay for one. And you deserve what you want. It's up to you to define it and to go out and ethically acquire it. Let me ask you a question. Very seriously. If this was a core ethos, if this was a core ethos that we taught children, not just some children, not just lucky children, if this was a core ethos, a core ethic, that as a society we taught our children, if we would be the old men and old women who plant trees under whose shade we shall never sit, How great would our society grow? How much different would your life be if when you were 10 years old, somebody started teaching you this? You can't dump all this on a 10-year-old. If you're a 10-year-old, your parents let you listen to this, and you got half of it, go pat yourself on the back 27 times, young man, not boy. But if you had somebody that walked alongside you as a kid, and put one piece of one of these things in your heart every day while you were growing up. Where would you have been at 30 if you're not, if you're, if you're over 30? Where would you have been at 25? Where would you have been at 18? What decisions would have you made for the better without the person who did it making them for you, without them overriding you, without them saying, this is what you want. This is what you should do. You know, your parents are like, I want my kids to have more than me. Then get the hell out of the way. There's my last piece of advice for parents today. If you're a parent, you're like, oh, I want my kids to have more than I did. Well, you didn't get more than you did. So if you start making decisions for them, what are the odds that they'll do better than you? We are sovereign beings. Humans are sovereign beings. Whether you're in a cage or completely free in the wilderness, in the end, you're still sovereign. Every single day, every breath you take, you choose to breathe instead of hold your breath. Every single action you have with another person, even if it's an emotional one and a mistake and you really wish you didn't do it, you still chose to do it. We are all sovereign beings, which means we get sovereignty over one and one life only, and that's our own. The more confident you become in your own sovereignty, the more respect for the sovereignty of others you will have. 
Hope you guys enjoyed that one. I know I did. I didn't know exactly where we'd end up with it. I, uh, I really enjoyed this one. Thank you for being with me. I want to let you guys know about a way you can help support the show. I mentioned joining the member support brigade already, and uh, I'd love you to do that. I would love you to use the troll code. Uh, I have people sometimes when it comes down to uh, sales, they're like, I didn't use the sale code, Jack. I, uh, I, I, I just thought you were, you know, value for value or whatever. Then use the sale code and then value for value me on the Lightning Network on Fountain or something, right? Like, I want to be able to come back at the end of this thing and go, here's all the new members. Thank you, trolls. Hello, trolls. Like Adam Curry said on the show one time, right? But the other way you can help me out is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. If you go there, you'll find all the stuff that I recommend. And if you start your shopping there, you'll help me out no matter what you buy. But I got a cool one for you today. Let me bring this up for you. This is the Streamlight Stylus Pro. Yeah, that flashlight he's been recommending for over 10 years. No, this is the rechargeable one. This is the rechargeable. It's a little USB port on it, and it recharges two standard AAA batteries, which means if the batteries crap the bed, and all batteries eventually do, you just open it up, put two more in there, and keep on going. That's pretty cool. And because it uses USB, this is something that, like, if you EDC it, you can just, like, when you're working, plug it into your computer and keep it topped up. And it's cool. And it's even, if you look at the collar on it, those of you on the a video, it's that little collar. That little collar slides and keeps gunk and goo and crap in your pocket from going in your USB port. This thing's really cool. I was recommending the standard one, which I still do for a long time. Somebody sent me this one, and it was a lot more expensive. But then I did the math on batteries, and I'm like, you know, they last for years and years. So, this actually does pay for itself by using rechargeable batteries. And it's it's like normally like almost a hundred bucks. It's on sale for fifty-seven percent off, fifty-two dollars a day. And you can find it at tspaz.com or just go to survivalpodcast.com and scroll down. You'll see it's right right after the post on the natural swimming pool deal that Paul Wheaton has. And uh, just real quick before we sign off, if you listen to the audio podcast at all, even if you tune into live streams. Uh, I really encourage you to start using the fountain.fm podcast app. Even if you're like, screw that jerk, I don't give away money for free. Okay, that's fine. I, I'm not pushing you guys into fountain because I want you to, to tip me or give me value for value. I appreciate it when you do. Thank you. I'm going to read a whole bunch of them on the air next week. Uh, the boostergrams have been coming in left and right. I want you to use fountain because it's a better way to use, to, to, to experience podcasting. I want you to use fountain because when you're driving, and you pull over to make a note because of something I said, you could have hit clip. You could have took 30, 40, two minutes, 30, 40 seconds, two minutes out, saved it, and emailed it to somebody who needed to hear it, even if it's not me. Like the only thing I think you can't get on, on Fountain is, is Joe Rogan because he's exclusive on Spotify. Literally like every other podcast is on Fountain. If you have a podcast you listen to and they're not in the podcast 2.0 index, podcastindex.com, you can literally drop their feed in there for them. There's no, you don't have to do anything. You won't be able to claim it or get anything out of it. You just want it to show up in Fountain. You can just put it in there. Most of them end up there anyway. I don't know how often they do it, but Podcast Index basically reaches out to the uh, Apple Podcast Index and like says, if not here, bring over uh, certain frequencies anyway. I haven't found anything not there. Um, it's just a better way to do things. And then you can start getting free Bitcoin just by listening. That's what I said. Like they're getting now. I don't think that's going to go on forever. 
And people are like, but I, I wasn't getting any at the end of the day because you hit your cap. It's a, uh, it's an awesome app. Has it got some bugs in it? Yeah. And I reached out to the guys at Fountain. I've been trying to get them on the air for an interview for Bitcoin Breakout. And, uh, they're just like, we can't right now. So I said, I want to do a show on Fountain and I don't want to sound like I'm talking out of my ass. Could we do this? Can I take the, the biggest 10 questions I have? Make sure they're concise and succinct. And you know, I'm, I'm big at that, right? Send them to you and you answer them two to three sentences each in text. I'll do the show and I'll use that as my base of knowledge. And you know what they said? Sure thing. So over the weekend, this is your opportunity. If you have a question about Fountain and I can't include them all because I, I got them to agree to 10 and 10 is 10. You keep your deals you make with people. That's, that's important. But it, maybe I'm missing something. If you email me, TSPC Fountain in the subject line, Jack at the survival podcast.com. And if you put the question in one sentence or less and give me details, just like you do for me, I will consider it for my 10 question text interview with those folks at Fountain. And we, maybe we can get some answers on some things that I have some questions about too. I want to know how certain things work, what some plans are for the future, things like that. But it is a fantastic app. I really, really, really suggest that you start using it. And don't just do it for the free sats. Deposit some money in it. Like what's five bucks? Isn't that something like, like 50,000 sats or something like that? Start, start exchanging value. Not just with me, with other podcasters, with other people. When you see, like, when you, like, start connecting with each other, you guys in the Telegram chat, give each other your usernames. Don't just, like, put your referral codes in for each other. Follow each other. Every time I see somebody, like, boosting me, like, 500 or more sats, I'm like, follow. Every time I see somebody that, like, made a really awesome clip, I'm usually giving them some sats, and I'm following them. This value for value thing. It's going to change the world. I, I, I tweeted out, I don't know if he'll, he'll get back to me. I tweeted out to Gary Vanderchuk on, on, on Twitter today. And I had Gary on the show years and years ago. And he, back then he had just written a book called The Thank You Economy. And did I, and I said, has anybody told Gary V that his vision is actually coming true at layer two and layer three? And I said, dude, I'd love to get you on the show and brain rake this with you. I think he's in a bunch of shit coins or something like that, though. So probably not going to happen, but it really is. This is the thank you economy. This is, this has been talked about. I, I mentioned before, Celestine prophecy, value for value exchange. This book was written in like 92 or something. There was no real internet yet. It's happening. It's happening. And it's a good thing. And this is what I want to finish with. I hope that what you got from today had a lot of the spirit of generosity in it. Do you understand that this is all done from a spirit of generosity? Even when it sounds harsh, it's about giving. This is the coolest freaking thing I've seen happen since all this stuff with Value for Value and Fountain and all this started. I'm part of a, a, a pretty small Telegram group. And I don't want to say the name because I don't know if they really want to encourage people to join it unsolicited. But there was a guy on the show not that long ago. He's probably out here listening to me right now. If you want me to tell him the name of it, dude, and you're here, let, let me know and I'll, I'll do it. But there's only like 50 people in this group. And the other day they were having a conversation about like, well, how far can we take this? And they, the guy was literally saying like, I would like a button on my coffee cup to the person I buy my coffee from. So if I'm having, if I had a really great coffee, great cup of coffee that day, and I'm just like, you know, I really needed that. I can just push a button on my coffee cup 
and that would send them 500 sats, which is like, I don't know, 10 cents. And I thought, look at this. This technology gets unveiled. It becomes a way to earn. And the first thing the people that embrace it the most do is ask, what can we do so that we can give more to those that enrich our lives? It's breeding generosity because that's who we are as humans at our very nature. If you make it easy for people to exchange value, they know it's in their best interest to do so and they do it. So I know I said I'm not going to talk about Bitcoin other than Bitcoin breakout episodes, but with everything I'm watching go on, I can't, I can't let it go. And I had to give you this finishing segment on it today. When we say fix the money, fix the world, it's the kind of thing we're talking about. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.